0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this lovely Monday evening that we're recording. Uh, I guess Sunday afternoon for you or whenever you're listening. Hello. Uh, The Malthouse Games Podcast is all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort. I will be your host today. My name is Delton. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. And I'll be your host next time. (laughs) She's your host all the time. (laughs) Bum, bum. Uh, This is episode
1: uh, 114, by the way. Crazy. And instead of having beer today, we are having... A gin. Not to be confused (laughs) with gin, Patreon supporter.
0: Exactly. Shout out to our Patreon patrons, Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Cliff, and Jennifer. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon to get a shout out on the podcast. Uh, Because of you, we get to make these cool things happen. If you want to be like them, you can always go to patreon.com slash malthousegames to check out our different tier levels.
1: Because of you, we oh, okay. can
0: improve the so, quality
1: of the podcast. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> okay. So today for the drink, uh, so we, we didn't want to have to go buy more beer because we've got some trips coming up this month that we'll talk about. Uh, and so we actually got this, this past weekend was our anniversary. We've been married seven years as of March 13th. So we had a little anniversary trip up to Guthrie, Oklahoma. Uh, it's about 20 minutes away from where we are, so it's not very far. But there is a distillery there uh, that makes different alcohols. I always thought they just did whiskey. But it ends up their bigger things that they do is their vodka, their basically flavored vodka, and then more importantly, their gin. So their gin is uh, it's in the line called Garden Club, and they have the gin and uh, the vodka and the flavored vodka all in there. Garden Club, the person who gave us the tour, described it as basically everybody would have gardens and they would get together and trade vegetables and talk about things. And they just decided it was a garden club city. And so uh, this the the whole thing with this distillery, which is Wander Folk, Wander as in W-A-N-D-E-R.
1: Previously known as Prairie Wolf.
0: Yes, Prairie Wolf is their like whiskey side of things. Um, but basically they, they put a lot of history from Guthrie into their uh, stuff. So this is their gin. Uh, distilled from grain, bottled there by Wanderfolk Spirits up in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. But we got to try it this weekend, go on a little tour of the distillery, uh, and we wanted to have this on the show as something different and something new.
1: And so we have two things. You know, one, we have a little quarter shot we're going to share to taste it, but then we also have a mixed drink. And so first, the quarter shot. I love this shot glass. It is the cheesiest <laughs> shot glass from Ron John Surf Shop yep. in uh, da, 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 Florida.
0: Yeah, we were at Cocoa Beach.
1: Cocoa Beach, that's right. And my niece, who was then four years old, knew that Aunt Hey likes rainbows, and this is a rainbow sky hippie surfboard shot glass that she found at, at Ron John Surf Shop and just had to get for Aunt Hey.
0: Yep, so that's our shot glass we have now. So, Haley, go ahead and taste it straight. This is the gin straight because it's a... I'm not a big gin fan, but I don't hate it for any... I just don't... I don't drink mixed mm. drinks. Um, and I don't want to drink something like gin or vodka, something like that straight. It's so warm and florally. It's very, like the smell is super strong flowers and citrus.
1: It really has the aftertaste of caffir lime leaves, which I think is something that they said they distilled it with. But oh my gosh, it's so fresh. It's crisp. It is really not that sweet either. And I wouldn't really call it too citrusy. It's more of the floral side. The really only citrus you yeah. get is from that caffir lime leaf.
0: Yeah, it's the there's almost that little hint of like cinnamon they talked about that lingers, but it is. It's very floral. It's very herby. Basically, they steep it like a tea before they do distillation to get in a lot of flavors from different spices and stuff.
1: And we took this beautiful handcrafted gin and bastardized it with some LaCroix.
0: We did. We I was looking up recipes for gin. We don't have tonic. We don't have carbonated water. We don't have all this crazy shit that they want you to have for It's like, oh, a true gin drinker, blah. So I was like, all right, we're going to make something dumb. So we, uh, I had Haley make a simple syrup for, for us because all of these recipes asked for a simple syrup.
1: And I did a damn good job. Did not boil it nor burn the sugar.
0: You did. You did a great job at it. Uh, so we have a simple syrup. Uh, then we have gin. We have some fresh lime juice from a lime. And then we have lime Lacroix as our carbonated water for it.
1: In my defense, I tried to order tonic water from natural grocers yesterday, and they were out.
0: But this is nice because the the herbalness of the gin balances nicely. It's not as pungent with the uh, the sweet from the simple syrup, but then the lime gives it that little bit of. Uh, oh, I can't think of the like it just it tastes very lime. And almost, to me, with the simple syrup, kind of like the popsicles I like, those bullet popsicles, Mm -hmm. it's got like a really nice sweet lime to it, little bit of that alcohol in the back.
1: It'd be a nice crisp summer drink, and it's perfect because we had the sun stay, uh, and it's perfect because the sun stayed out past seven o'clock today.
0: It did. After the time change, the sun is staying up longer, as you know, unless you're in Arizona. And isn't it Arizona?
1: I think so. Arizona and one other state.
0: I think it's just Arizona now. Really? I could be wrong.
1: Oklahoma has an initiative right now to outlaw it, but we've had this uh, initiative go through about six or seven times in the last five years, so uh, to be continued.
0: I mean, that makes sense, I guess. But yeah, so it's a pretty good drink. It's nice and light. It's crisp. The, the fresh lime juice really kicked it up a notch. I'm glad that you, we had those limes. You pulled one out. Uh, but it's pretty good. This gin, though, is really good. It's different than most gins because of that floralness to it. It's not just a basic dry. Uh, the labeling is beautiful, and it's just neat to have something local like this uh, because usually when it comes to spirits, that's not something Oklahoma has a lot of. We're a big beer community in Oklahoma. How many craft brewers did he say? Like 70?
1: Like 70. It's and a that's, lot. And
0: that's been blowing up just the past 10 years. I mean, Yeah,
1: I don't think we had any before 10 years ago.
0: I like Coop was one of the first,
1: right? And that was like maybe 2010,
0: maybe so. And it's just exploded ever since. So it's neat now to see people uh, dipping their toes into the actual spirits world and whiskeys and things like that. But so we have that to drink today.
1: And like Dalton said, we picked this up on our anniversary excursion to Guthrie, America. We did. So we first went to the distillery tour. If you get a chance to go to Guthrie, I don't know why you'd be there because it's a small-ass town, but if you get the chance to go, highly recommend the Wanderfolk Distillery Tour. For $15, you will get to try eight of their uh, different spirits. And no, you do not get eight shots. That would be a mistake and probably a felony on their part. We got to try eight, probably quarter ounce tastings of each.
0: He said total is about like three total shots worth of alcohol throughout the whole... It took us two hours to do the tour.
1: And we also got a fancy glass out of it.
0: Yep. We got a tasting glass.
1: And after that, we meandered down Guthrie's Main Street and went into Licorice Man! Exclamation mark!
0: We did. We got to try some awesome licorice, find some retro candy, and talk to the most passionate man about candy I've ever talked to.
1: Rick was super passionate, not about candy by itself, but about licorice. And he made sure to give Dalton the grand tour of all his different licorice. Dalton probably yes. tried eight different licorices.
0: It was a lot. Yeah.
1: It was a lot. All for free. And then so, of course, we had to buy like two pounds of licorice. (laughs) Yep. And so we also checked out an antique store. We stayed at what's called the Dominion House in Guthrie, which was a former uh, children's home. It was a big, beautiful estate. Yes. And it's been turned into a bed and breakfast. So we got to stay there.
0: And it's like a wedding venue, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And so we uh, ate most of the candy. We also got cupcakes and ate those, too. My tummy hurt. Yeah. (laughs) And we, we... Tried to split a bottle of wine, but we're lightweights, and then we went to sleep. And it was wonderful. Woke up the next morning, had a vegan breakfast, got some coffee, really enjoyed our time. But yeah, like Dalton said, we've been married for seven years this year, which is wild.
0: It really is wild. One thing I'm going to mention on here, uh, if you're passing through Oklahoma in Guthrie, there is First Capital Games on Oklahoma. It is a little game store that's opened up in Guthrie. It's been there since, when did they open? 2019?
1: 2019, right before the pandemic. We went in there like the first week they were open.
0: It was pretty early on, and then we hadn't been back because A, the pandemic, and B, we just don't go to Guthrie very often. We've seen a lot of their stuff, and we want to go more and explore the little antique shops and stuff. We just haven't been up that way. So we stopped in, and I was very happy to see that they seem to be thriving. Larger selection of purchase. They've really done up their play space in the back. They have a library of games. Uh, they've done a really good job, so if you want to check them out, that's uh, up in Guthrie at First Capital Games. reason it's called First Capital is because Guthrie was the first capital of Oklahoma.
1: Before they literally stole the state seal and took it down to Oklahoma City.
0: Yeah, somebody just uprooted the metal state seal, took it to Oklahoma City and said, this goes here now, and everybody just kind of said, okay, and then Oklahoma City became <laughs> the new capital, so kind of strange.
1: I'm sure we could steal it again. Let's make Gary the capital. No,
0: let's not. My, Come on. my my hometown does not need to be the capital of anything.
1: Let's steal it. Come on.
0: No, that that's a bad idea. But yeah, so we had a fun weekend doing that. Uh, played some video games, a bunch of Bloodborne. Been playing on the Switch with uh, Alan and Tyler and that whole group and David and everybody. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else we've been up to lately.
1: Really, we've been planning for trips because by God, we have a lot of trips coming up.
0: We really do. This weekend, uh, which I guess this is spring break week. Uh, This weekend, is that right? Yeah. yeah. We are going to Broken Bow, more specifically Hocha Town. Uh, is, that how, is that how you say it?
1: Hocha Town is Houcha- how I pronounce it. Hocha
0: Town is a town Houcha-town. in the southeast of Oklahoma, but down where we actually get some trees from Arkansas.
1: There's also a state park, Hocha Town State Park.
0: Yep, and there is Beaver's Bend, which is a lake area, and I think that's the state park, right? Beaver's Bend State Park.
1: Well, or is it something it's else? It's Beaver's Bend State Park and Hochitown State Park, all within the Wichita State Park.
0: There you go. So it is an area of Oklahoma that people like to go because it's very uh, like hike, hiking friendly and camping friendly and take a kayak on the water and all kinds of cool stuff like that. And so we're going with Haley's family to stay in a cabin. We're going to go on a bunch of hikes. There's one that's across the spillway or that follows the spillway, and I think that'll be fun. Um, if you don't know what a spillway is, uh, when there's a dam built on a lake, ninety percent of the time man made lake, anytime that lake fills up too much or like there's heavy rains, they will open the dam and let water out, so it's spilling out, and that's what they call the spillway because then you almost have a man made kind of creek. a lot of times it ties into a legitimate creek or body of water or river um but yeah, so there's a really nice hike along the spillway that looks gorgeous. so I'm excited to do that,
1: yeah, and we even picked out some. Less than one mile hikes to take our little Nissan so she can get some bugs and see some waterfalls. And if you all remember us reviewing some Mountain Fork breweries, a 15-minute walk from our cabin is actually Mountain Fork Brewery.
0: Yeah, we had Mountain Fork, a couple of their beers on the podcast before. If I come up here and take a look, uh, let me notice if you know.
1: I think it's, I think it's later. Is Wait, it? stop. 76. Uh, Mountain
0: Fork, The Rooster on 75 and Mountain Fork Brewery, Three Rivers on 76. Uh, I remember liking their beers, and so I'm excited to see their actual brewery and have beers fresh from the tap.
1: It is also where Hochitown Distillery is, right next door. So we are a 15 minute walk from both Mountain Fork Brewing Co. and Hochatown Distillery.
0: Yeah, so we're going to get to do that. Then at the end of March, we are going to Cabin Con in Ohio. Basically, it's Alan and that group always got together and played, and it's kind of expanded now to where uh, Alan has invited you know friends along, and the, uh, we've started going, and it's just a really fun time of everybody. Going to a campground, hanging out, sleeping in bunk beds, and just having fun together. So super excited about that.
1: Yeah, so next podcast episode, you'll hear all about our trip to Broken Bow. And the next episode, you'll hear all about the Boga Retreat. Yes. We've also booked some other trips this year. I think, basically, we haven't traveled in the last two years. And so we're trying to fit two years worth of travel into the next six months is what it feels like.
0: It does feel like that. But it's also because, like, Cabin Con didn't happen last year or the year before. So now we get to go to Cabin Con again and see our friends, and I, you know, obviously, um, you know, there's, uh, we're still wearing masks and stuff on the plane, and then they're uh, requiring vaccinations for the con, so stuff to make people comfortable, make us comfortable, but it's just gonna be nice to see our friends in person again, kind of like BGG Con last fall, hang out with friends, all that kind of stuff. But yes, this year is gonna be a kind of hectic year for us travel wise, Uh, but we will talk more about that as those other trips start showing up closer.
1: And so speaking of trips, today's game, we actually played on one of our last trips we went on. Oh, here's the door. Uh,
0: uh, It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. As Haley alluded to, uh, we've played this game before, before owning it, actually. Whenever we went to Jennifer and Nick's in Portland for our awesome Gen Con, Uh, we got to play Crash Octopus that I believe their friend Jonathan brought over. Is that correct? That was his copy? I think so. I think so. Uh, And we got to play Crash Octopus and I said, this is cute. We need this because dexterity games are fun. And I picked it up. Uh, Me and Haley were able to get it.
1: What was it? You bought it for me. Valentine's Day? It was Valentine's Day. Whenever we went to the Game, uh, HQ. Game HQ and they had that big shelf of half-price used games.
0: Yeah, the Game HQ had a shelf of, they weren't half-price, but they had a shelf of used games somewhere. Discount. Uh, somebody had brought in their collection before they were moving and dumped off a bunch of games that they didn't want anymore. Crash Octopus was there um, and I wanted to have it around the house and Haley said we should do an episode about it since we played it very recently with Jinwin and Cody at their house. And uh, I think we've got, some good talks about it coming into the topic, but we'll get to that. So Crash Octopus. Crash Octopus is a, as I said, dexterity game. It is published by Eaton Games, the same company who published Tokyo Highway. Uh, The game design is Naotaka Shimamoto. Artwork is Yoshiaki Tomioka. Box illustration is Naotaka Shimamoto. Project coordinator is Nozomi Obinata. And game development is all three of those, plus Masayuki Ikegami. Uh, special thanks to Daryl Chow and English rules translation was Nozomi Obinata. And it looks like English rules copy editing was Nick Sutner. So this is a game from the J- J- uh, Japanese company. It- this is a game from the Japanese company Eaton Games. If you happened to recognize the game designer, now Takashi and the art of Yoshiaki Tomiyoka, those are the same two designer and artists for Tokyo Highway. So I believe, I don't know, um, if they're just work with eating games a lot i don 't know if that 's their company i haven 't done enough research into eating games. Um, but anyway, so Crash Octopus is a dexterity game, but it's, it was one that caught me by surprise by how adorable it looks on the table. That was the first thing in Crash Octopus, let me see here if there's a a neat little thing. Uh, here we go. You are valiant sailor. You are a valiant sailor determined to collect the treasures scattered across the ocean by skillfully flicking them with flags. Race to collect five types of treasure, including the captain, while hindering rival sailors by making use of attacks from the giant octopus. So in the game, you have a little blue outline around the, the. basically it creates the play area. It's like a giant rope. It's like a giant rope. Looks like a buoy rope. There's some little beads on that and a crab that keep track of the turns and how often the octopus attacks. And then on the board, you basically put an octopus head, eight tentacle pieces, drop a butt ton of pieces that fly everywhere, goblets and gold bars and captains and pieces of wood, which I guess were trests. Yeah, the captains are the people oh, yeah. spread out everywhere. Wine bottles if you want to have one of the expansions in. You spread all those out, everybody gets a ship, and you get a flag with your ship color. The way the game is going to play is on your turn, you get to flick a one of those goods, the goblets, uh the wooden pieces, the metal pieces, or the I guess it's uh uh what is it, gold And chests, or the captain, you flick it to your ship. It can't be the closest object to your ship, and you can only have one of each object on your ship. You can also flick your anchor to move your ship somewhere else on the board, uh, and you're gonna be doing that. Anytime somebody picks up a piece of treasure, which means it successfully hits your boat, and you put it on your boat, you will move the little crab turn marker one forward. Anytime that turn marker uh, passes a black bead, the beads are blue and black, then the octopus will attack. Everyone at the table gets to drop this dice, this die, single die. They'll drop it on the head of the octopus, trying to make sure to hit a certain side to have it knock over your opponent's boats, knock off all of their goods, make sure they don't have any of that treasure. And if they miss, they get to move the octopus head or a tentacle, depending on how the uh, die rolls. And if they hit, then they hit and they have, uh, you know, messed you up. And that's basically how the game's going to go in a standard game. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. But I think something I like so much about it is there's so many opportunities to uh, not only get things, but like block your opponents from goods.
1: Yes. For example, Delton was in the lead. And so whenever Jen, Wynn, Cody, and I had the opportunity to move the octopus, octopi, octopus tentacles, because I want to say octopuses, but I know that that sounds like the plural of octopus whenever it's octopi, the octopus, the tentacle of the octopus. How's that? I mean, that's fine. Whenever we got the chance to move the tentacle of the octopus, uh, each of us put it around Delton. That way it was more difficult for him to move his ship because if he were to try to move his ship and he hit one of the tentacles, then that might knock loose some of his treasure.
0: And the thing is too, you can't necessarily block me in from moving because I have to be able to you know, flick my anchor, but you can block me from getting anything to my ship. So then I have to use my turn to move, which is going to push me further behind, but it's fun.
1: Makes it more difficult at least to move.
0: A little bit, yes. Uh, by the way, the three ma- three main plurals for octopus come from three different ways the English language adopts plurals. Octopi is the oldest plural of octopus coming from the belief that Latin origins should have Latin endings. Octopuses is the next plural, which gives the word an English ending to match its adoption as an English word. Lastly, octopods or oct- uh, oct- I guess it was octopods stems from the belief that because octopus is originally Greek, it should have a Greek ending.
1: An octopussy is a Bond villain.
0: An octopussy is a Bond villain. There's the four types of octopuses. <laughs> I do like octopods. Oct- I think it would be like oct- octopodes, is how I want to say it. Because you know how uh, Greek always has that like tone, that, that, that way of pronunciation. Octopodicals. Octopodicals. <laughs> Octopodical op- for Nautical. There you go. <laughs> we totally nailed it. Uh,
1: you did put two shots in this drink, right?
0: I haven't even got close to finishing this drink. So, that's not affecting me. It's just a Monday. <laughs> uh, but yes, you're going to do all that kind of stuff. It's just a really simple game. Like, that's kind of the thing with dexterity games, right? They're simple, they're easy to explain. You tell people what to do, they know what they're doing, and then it's just fun. It's fun to try to hit your opponent's boats with the the uh the die whenever, you know, it's your turn to drop it, all kinds of stuff like that. So, Here is the last uh, things with this that I'm really going to discuss because I think it's pretty simple. Like, it's a straightforward game. There's not too many rules. You know, load your stuff on the boat. If you knock it off, that's your loss. If you put something on your boat, you can reorganize whatever's on it still that didn't fall. There's simple stuff like that, but you can find that out as you explore the game.
1: It's so easy that even a Haley can play it.
0: Exactly. As a dexterity game. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, You do have to always hit stuff with your flag. I'm just going to point that out, but there are some interesting little extra things that come in this. Now, I believe the copy we have here is the Kickstarter edition. Um, as of this moment, and I wanted to make sure to bring this up, as of this moment, this game's hard to get a hold of at an affordable price because it's not like full on to retail in you in the U.S. yet, um, and I can't even find it from Eating Games website for sale. There are a couple sites. There was a place down in California that has it in stock. I can't remember the name. Um, there is Tanuki games down in Austin, Texas. It looks like they're currently out of stock, but they had it, the Kickstarter for $45, which I believe is going to be, uh, the, probably the retail price of the game. Now, uh, if you're wanting to pick it up, it will be coming. I don't see why it wouldn't be coming. This is one of those games that, you know, people have really enjoyed. It's starting to get here, uh, at least the Kickstarter stuff. So I'm sure it will. If you want it immediately, eBay does have some options look like we did, find someone who's getting rid of it used. They're wooden pieces, there's no cards. The only thing you'd have to worry about is if the flags are bent, and even then, it comes with spare flags. It's not anything that you would have to worry with, so even if you found a beat-up used copy, it's still going to be in great condition. It's a dexterity game, so I don't think it would really matter.
1: It being beat-up is like part of the game.
0: (laughs) Sort of, yeah. But if you get the Kickstarter version, or what it looks like is for the retail version, they actually have an expansion box uh, there's a couple extra things. One of them is the Nameless Island. Basically, it, shows, it throws an island with a palm tree into the game, uh, and it just adds another way to get resources. You can add in somebody uh, between three and five players. Somebody can play the Pink Pirate. The pirate's whole job is to literally just shoot other ships, and I believe whatever they knock off of your boat, they get to keep. So they're taking your booty, which I think is great. And I always have to call it booty because it's funnier. I'll take your booty. Take my booty. Yeah. Uh, When you're playing with five players, they actually include uh, the wine bottle goods. I still played with those in four players just to add another variety of good. Um, And then they also have a little expansion uh, in here, which is the like tiny octopus. And the tiny octopus just adds more stuff going on, uh, more ways to mess with your opponents, things like that. Uh, It also in the rule book, has a flicking challenge. It's a mini game for practice where you basically practice flicking things towards your boat and trying to figure that out. So it's a pretty neat little way to set that up. And it has like, you know, conditions where you can uh, keep track of your score. And And it has practice mini game two, which is the octopus practice. And there's just more stuff you're trying to do. Bounce the dice to do this and do that over there. And then it has the extra mini game of bowling where you literally set up stuff, try to drop the dice off the octopus head to bowl through like the goods that's adorable it's just really funny uh it's really neat i'm glad it has little mini games just to break things up if you play it a lot but crash octopus is just that it's it's pure plain simple fun it's easy to teach it's easy to understand and it's one of those games you can break out with literally anybody
1: i feel like this would be a lot of fun with like lakin like a little kid i think so Just as like the the wild card any anytime there's a dexterity game i feel like you're playing for fun and not necessarily playing to win i mean you want to win But I feel like having a five-year-old partake would definitely be the wild card that we need to keep us on our toes.
0: Oh, definitely. I think that would add in some chaos.
1: Or we can have her control the octopus.
0: Oh, she can do all the octopus attacks? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but she'd favor people. You'd be like, but Laken, don't hit me. She'll go, okay. And then she'll attack me every time.
1: Exactly. That's why we should do it.
0: That's rude. (laughs) But yeah, so that's Crash Octopus. Definitely recommend checking it out if you're into dexterity games, flicking games anything like that and hopefully it gets a full spread or wider u.s release and if not as i said keep an eye out on like facebook marketplace and things like that for a used copy uh one of the best things though about this game that me and Haley have uh, discussed and it's one of the reasons we like dexterity games is because a lot of times they don't involve reading
1: hey what can i get you i'd like a topic any special way
0: make it a top shelf topic
1: coming up Enjoy.
0: So for the topic today, we wanted to approach something, uh, a topic that's different than what we normally talk about, I feel, but it is within the realm of accessibility, and it's uh, a specific side of that, which is language-independent games. Language-independent games uh, is essentially games to where it does not matter what language you speak. As long as someone knows the rules and can teach it to you, then there is no need for you to know the language that the game is printed in.
1: And... You know, this can be if somebody has, you no know, difficulty with reading comprehension or somebody, you know, let's say you're playing with a seven-year-old who maybe can't keep track of all the words on the cards, or you're playing with somebody or uh, like, a, a, a mixed language group as well. Maybe we can communicate with a language, but we can't, like, explain a, a lot of rules. Our, our, our second language ability isn't that intense. So when Delton talks about language independent, it's games where... Uh you don't have to read games where you can uh play the game without really having to communicate much in a primary language.
0: Exactly, exactly. It 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 generally comes down to the way I view it is one person knows the game and can read the rule book and explain it to the others without making them have to read. They're not holding a hand of cards. So an an example that I feel like is um an example that's very I, I don't want to say close to home, but very Oklahoma, very south part of America is Uh, If you have anybody who is a a native Spanish speaker, but their English isn't super great in terms of reading, this is something where somebody that knows English well and knows Spanish well can read the rule book, teach them the game, and they can play it whether the rules or anything else is in Spanish or not, right? And I feel like that's where language independent games shine is because not everyone has to know the language. Not everyone, like Haley said with little kids, has to be able to read. Like, that is an okay thing. Uh, and so that's where Crash Octopus comes in. Things like this, it's you don't want people at the table to be excluded. And sometimes people, and I see this online a lot, especially on like Reddit, sometimes on uh, Twitter, is people saying, you know, hey, uh, I'm going back home. My family doesn't speak English. What games are there that are language independent so I can go home and play games with them, but not have to, you know, make them feel bad asking me to read this or read that or translate. And so something like dexterity games are almost always great for this. As long as, like I said, somebody can teach the rules, you're good to go. And Crash Octopus, aside from the rule book, zero reading, zero letters, zero numbers, zero of anything that you have to do that on the board. So it makes it easy just to hop in a game and play. What are some other great uh, games that work with language independence?
1: I think you could make an argument for Patchwork, too.
0: I think you could. I mean, I guess you'd have to know the numbers. Like you'd have, but, but I feel like that's a. I feel like the, uh, what are those? Are they Roman Romanized? Latinized? Roman, Latinized. What's the? I think it's Romanized. Like, like English numbers. Because yes. I, when I say Romanized too, I think of Roman numerals, but that's not. Uh, but basically like the English style one through 10, I feel like that's not necessarily worldwide, but I feel like that's the easiest thing to identify with someone who's a non-native English speaker. Because even in a lot of non-English languages, those numbers are used.
1: Right. And so, yeah, I, I think that patchwork, you know, especially if, you know, they're familiar with or, or know the, like Dalton said, the Romanized numbers. I feel like that one would be easy language independent game because it's basically Tetris.
0: It really is. It's just Tetris with like a few little things, but that would, that would be nice and easy to do. Another one I think about a lot is number nine.
1: Again, with the numbers, you know.
0: It's again with the numbers, but it has the cards that match the colors. And so, you know, it, it's easy to identify by shape, by color. You don't actually have to know what they are necessarily, except for, I guess, scoring but um that's one as well that's really easy to teach it's that's a game that we can sit down and teach very quickly and then just go for it and that's one that's language independent again when it comes to flicking games i think you know stuff like tokyo highway stuff like flick 'em up stuff like junk art for the most part
1: i feel like junk art might be a little more difficult because there are uh different instructions on the cards so for example if you lay out a card it might be make the tallest tower it might be all oh, the
0: different city rules yeah yeah.
1: But like I said,
0: though, generally, this is when you have one person that knows the rules. So as long as that one person uh, can read those for everybody, then after that, it's easy.
1: And I feel like criteria for, again, language independent games is one, not having a lot of reading, if any reading at all.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, two, someone's just able to say the rules and like everybody knows how to play.
0: Yeah. Like, you don't need rules references.
1: Don't need rules references. It probably the more simple, the better. Uh, Three. Also, I feel like little as little as possible when it comes to like players talking to each other like giving clues like i would not consider code names a language independent game it's like the furthest from it yeah and so yeah like i said simple rules easy teach not a lot of player interaction when it comes to discussion you don't have to discuss things you don't have to figure things out together
0: yeah exactly i I keep looking at our shelves while we're talking like looking at other games going oh i could do this one oh we could do that one so i was looking at suro Sorrow's a great example. You just put your little piece, follow the thing, put a tile down, easy peasy. Uh, Azul is a pretty simple one, right? As long uh, Again, it's just the numbers. The numbers are the only thing, but that's pretty simple on there. I guess you also have things like, uh, you know, basic Santorini, uh, chess checkers, the GIF series of games. You've got Shobu. Any of those games you can explain to people fairly simply. But it is, it's just making sure that, you know, no matter what each person's, uh situation is no matter what each person's you know background is anything like that it's a way that people can get together and play these games and not worry about oh this is the english edition we should have the french edition or oh oh this is the german edition we really need the spanish edition that won't matter as long as one person can teach them the rules
1: and i can see these kinds of games for like let's say in classrooms so especially in Oklahoma, we have a lot of folks whose primary language or first language is Spanish. And so I can see like teachers having something like Crash Octopus, where as long as someone can teach the rules or someone can read the rules, the kids can play. Like if one kid reads the Spanish rules, one kid reads the English rules, like the kids can play together easily with, with little uh, difficulty. Oh, definitely. It's so, like I remember being in the, I think I was in the fourth grade and uh, we got a, a new student in class and he was sit right next to me, didn't speak any English at all, at all. His name was Sergio, and I didn't speak any Spanish. I mean, I had, like, three words I knew because I was in the fourth grade. But uh, I remember we just sat and played tic-tac-toe. We, we didn't speak any English together, but we could still play that game together whenever we had free time. And so I could see games like this, like I said, if it's in uh, schools or if you are in, like, any kind of language immersion class, too.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Like, uh, somebody that does, you know, if they, like, study abroad. Mm-hmm. that would be an interesting thing they could do too, is it allows you to play games with people. um, at a, You know, even if you, like you said, tic-tac-toe is like one of the most basic games to understand. And I think most Western cultures and people know tic-tac-toe in America. It's like you start as a little kid. I know England, they have knots and crosses, right? So I feel like that's very common. And I wouldn't doubt if it's really spread throughout Europe. I don't know about the rest of the world. I'm really interested. Now I want to look up like how far does tic-tac-toe go? Does every culture have this? But that would be a very easy one to like someone understands what you're doing, you know?
1: Cuz I can think of a I I can think back to like being a college freshman taking German. And like something like Crash Octopus, in order to explain the game, you you don't need to know that much German. Like in order to translate it be able to explain the rules, you're maybe using like five or six sentences, maybe like four verbs, is all. Yeah. And so it would be easy to to teach if I were to take this game and go teach it to someone in Germany if I'm doing like a study abroad or something like that. This would be easy to explain, but then we can all play together.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the goal with language independent. And I understand, you know, we like games as well that have a lot of text. Like some of our favorite games has a bunch of cards with writing on it, right? Twilight Struggle. You look at Twilight Struggle, you look at, uh, I guess Pax Pamir doesn't really have a bunch of rules text, but it's got a lot of text on things. You have to be able to read a lot of things. Uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg is aside from the fortune tellers, I guess the hard part would be initially learning what the different things do. But aside from that, you could kind of run Quacks as language independent, but a lot of the games we play, you're going to have to read a lot of things. So it's just nice that, you know, to keep these options available, to know about these options, to say, you know, Oh, uh, I have this friend, even if this friend just, they, they don't want to have to read a lot and constantly be refreshing Here's some games, not necessarily that they're simpler games all the time, but they are games that don't require all the reading. They don't require you to have to sit and comprehend some rule. You know, it's one of the reasons that uh, you are not a huge fan of two-player card games because it's read this rule, read this rule. How does this interact here? And it's just reading after reading after reading. And that's kind of the only way those games work.
1: It's because you need a master's degree in magic in order to play.
0: I mean, and it does feel that way sometimes. I couldn't imagine trying to play Magic with someone who doesn't have English as a first language or second language that's like, I guess I shouldn't say doesn't, someone who's not as versed with it as a second language or further on, right? Because Magic is just a whole shit show of terms and crazy things and change-ups and errata on future cards and all this crap. Uh, It's stuff like that. You don't want to bust out games like that with people. So it's just nice to have options. Um, I, I just think it's something worth considering. Keep some in your collection keep some in your mind because it's been more than a handful of times that I've seen requests on the internet. What language independent games do you know of? And so it's something just to, you know, have, have an eye out for and think about that when you, when you play games, when you invite friends over, uh, just kind of think of those situations. And I think that it does, uh, it gives you a bigger appreciation for games like crash octopus when maybe you're not a flicking dexterity game fan. Maybe you just see, see that as a little bit silly and it's not in your wheelhouse. Uh, but think think about those situations in which it could honestly be the best game at the table.
1: So I guess in the end, you know, language independent games, you know, they can be great if you have uh, loved ones who maybe English isn't their first language, or who speak different languages, it can be great if you are in some sort of work or school setting where maybe folks have different primary languages, or you know, don't speak the same language at all. You no know, things to keep in mind: make sure the rules are simple, easy to understand. Make sure it's a game that you only have to really explain once and that there's not a lot of reading to. So I think those are big considerations to think about when you're trying to find a language-independent game because the list goes on from what we have talked about today.
0: There is a lot more. Do a Google search. You can find more. I've just went off of the games I know and have on my shelf uh, because that's, you know, part of the reason I keep some games around. It really is. But with that being said, I think we're good to move from the topic into the question. And now. Join us for a Malt House Games podcast special size question. So the question for today to wrap this little episode up is, since we had our seven-year anniversary, what are we looking forward to the next seven years? This is a very non-game-focused question.
1: You go first, LZ. Uh
0: I don't know. That's the, the, the simple answer for me. Um, there's all kinds of things that I can think of that I want to do or that we're going to do. But I think like the biggest one that stands out easiest at the top is our trip to Japan in three years. We're officially at the mark of it is in three years exactly. Cause we're going to try to go in mid to late March, maybe early April in hopes to hit peak Sakura season, which is the cherry blossoms.
1: We also hope Japan is open by then.
0: We also hope that uh, international travel, especially Japan is open by then. Um, I guess at some point we're going to have to get some extra vaccinations and I'm going to have to fill out all the paperwork to make sure I can take my ADHD medication (laughs) because that's a whole nother thing in Japan. But I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the challenge of it, but also the experience and the joy we're going to get from truly experiencing what I'm going to describe as culture shock, because it's going to be so vastly different from what we live now. And I'm just excited to see that in person and, you know, just experience another part of the world. What about you?
1: Short answer, same as yours. I don't know. But in all honesty, like I'm really excited for our adventures, too. I feel like we have done so much out of the last seven years. Yeah. We have truly lived. We have had many adventures. We have learned a lot together. We have been through struggles. We have been through triumphs. We have really just had a great seven years. And so I'm too, I'm ready for, I'm ready to go to Japan. I'm also ready to... Learn new recipes with you. I'm also ready to wear that dress that you got me for <laughs> our anniversary, but it was way too cold. We got a we got a snowstorm in the middle of March, The next day it was 70 degrees. We got a snowstorm, and Delton brought me this beautiful sleeveless dress for our anniversary, and it was too cold to wear. So I'm ready to wear that too. I'm ready to go to Japan. I'm ready to learn new recipes. I'm ready to go on day trips. I'm ready to sit and watch TV with you. But um, above all, I'm ready to wear that dress.
0: <laughs> there you go we've got a lot of things to look forward to together and hopefully hopefully uh the podcast is still going
1: we'll see i hope so too <laughs> i also hope to meet more of our our friends it's not related to the to the marriage but i do hope to meet no. more we've met a lot of people through the podcast and seven years from now we will have met a lot more
0: oh there's so many people i would like to meet and play games with and hang out with and have a beer with or eat food with or drink some tea just whatever you know whatever we have to do uh, there's a lot of people I'm excited to meet and communicate with, and really like further the relationship, because uh, the podcast is fun and it has allowed us to meet people. And you know, I, I, our podcast is not a business. You know what I mean? We we don't meet publishers and designers with the hope that you're gonna give us games and we're gonna review them so you give us more game. No, like if you you know if that happens, that's awesome. That's super cool that that's a thing that happens sometimes. But really, it's just about, like, these are things I love. I love board games and meeting new people's fun, and we've made actual great friends through this, whether they be designer or consumer. And we've just, you know, the relationship we've built have been awesome, and I'm looking forward to doing more of that.
1: In seven years, it will be the 10-year anniversary of Malt House Games.
0: Uh, isn't it six years? We started beginning of 2018, January 2018.
1: Was it 2018?
0: Yeah, because 2017 was Gen Con 50. And we kicked the podcast in. It was January 1st. We released our first four episodes. Oh. So 2018. So it'll actually be six years. Oh, gosh. It's coming up. It's weird, but it's good. Well, I think that wraps up this episode really nicely. At least I hope so. Geez. Uh, if you have any questions for us, any comments, concerns, games for us to look at, drinks you think we should have, topics you want us to cover, questions you want us to answer, send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can always go to all social media at Malthouse games to find us. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Keep an eye out in the future for our next episode, which should be after Cabin Con, or at least maybe it's the one after that. I'm gonna have to figure that out because I think we're gonna be gone during Cabin Con.
1: Yes. Okay, as, next well, episode
0: next episode's broken bow.
1: Next episode's but bro- <laughs> but
0: broken bow (laughs) the one after that will be for cabin con in ohio uh so keep an eye out for those those are going to be filled with adventurous tales of random things and then hopefully coming up pretty soon i'm hoping sooner rather than later we did pick up the new version of libertalia from Stonemeyer games and we are going to do like our terraforming mars comparison episode with uh the original and Ares expansion uh, we are planning to do a libertalia versus the new libertalia winds of gale crest so Uh, We will do another comparison episode to let you know what we think about each one and which one you should look out for because the original is being sold used a lot and the price has come down. Oh. So it is actually accessible. I saw someone the other day selling it for 50 bucks on Facebook for a good copy and I was like, hot damn, that game used to be $120. So it's coming down. So we'll do that in the future, but keep an eye out, keep an ear to the ground, look out on social media. And I guess until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink and play some games. See you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.